Benvenuti to Kimberly's Italy, a podcast about our love of all things Italian. And this is episode 85, Otanta Cinque. Who would have thought we'd get this far? That's right. And we've named this episode, quote unquote, you asked for it and we're delivering. And I'll explain why in a minute. But first of all, <laughs> my name is Kimberly Holcomb and I'm with Tommaso, my partner in life in the podcast studio and my Italian traveling partner. Yes, absolutely. Extraordinaire. Yes. And also at this point, the instead of DoorDash delivering food, we're the podcast dash people. <laughs> delivering a recipe. Delivering a recipe. <laughs> well, let me explain. As we mentioned in last week's episode, we thought we'd mix it up and share another pasta recipe with you because we've had so many requests from listeners all over the world who have asked for another recipe like we did in October of 2021. God, that long ago. That's Oops. A, episode 19. Exactly. Episode 19 to be exact. And I just listened to it earlier this morning, and we did indeed promise to give away a recipe every month or two. So we failed. Actually, it's an epic fail, to be honest. We and didn't fail. We just didn't deliver. Okay. <laughs> we're a little we're on pause a little bit on the episode on, on the recipes. Now we're starting again. Yes, we will because it seems to have been very popular way back when. So we've only given you the one recipe, that delicious roasted cherry tomato with basilico, etc. So now we're making it up to you. And this recipe comes from my old neighbor in Milano. Actually, however, speaking of Milano, which is where we left off in last week's episode, we read a very interesting article in the New York Times this past Sunday about the Duomo in Milano. Yeah, I thought we'd be getting over Milano at, the, <laughs> at this, but I guess not. Uh, I, I went down to the end of the driveway on Sunday morning and picked up the paper and came back in, poured myself a coffee, sat down, and on page six, there it was. I opened up a section and it said, a high maintenance relationship for 637 years, but Milan's Duomo is still adored. It is indeed. Yeah. And it was by this woman, Elisabetta Povoledo, and she's one of their international correspondents. It talks about all of the challenges that go along with maintaining this beautiful edifice that has basically been around for all this time. And it's been in maintenance since like day two. It's never really been done. <laughs> and Well, there's over 3,200 freestanding sculptures. So there's that. How many did you say? Maybe 3,400. Ah, <laughs> there you go. I can't remember every single well, number. Well, six centuries of high maintenance. We all know what high maintenance is. <clears throat> so not funny. That is not funny at all. I am so not high maintenance, you guys. Just saying. Well, Carry it, on. It's been demanding constant care since 1386. And the cathedral, along with the 3,400 or so mm -hmm. statues and carvings that adore the countless nooks and crannies of this thing, the buttresses and the pinnacles and the spires, they're all crafted from this rare pink-hued marble that's mined from a single quarry on the slopes of the Alps, some 60 minutes north of Milan. And the stone's unique physical and chemical characteristics make it particularly beautiful, as we all know, but the stunning coloration all comes with one flaw. It's very, very... No, it's fragile. Oh, okay. It's fragile. And climate change and pollution, they're adding to the challenge of maintaining this because the fasteners that hold it on and everything, they oxidize over time 
And all of a sudden it can go like poof. A yeah, piece can yeah. go poof. And the record breaking heat waves we had recently. Oh, right. And the summers. Like baking. Right. Baking, baking in on pizza. one side, baking right. on one side and cool on the other side. So the temperature between the parts of the cathedral most exposed to the sun and in the shade oh my God. is extreme. So the continuing need for the marble and the repair work has been good news for this quarry, but it's also very, very difficult because it takes a lot of time. Like one person can work on a piece of marble for 18 months and all of a sudden one bad strike and 18 months out the window. It is monitored its structural well-being with a host of sensors all over the place. The entire monument is wired and these provide a constant stream of digital measurements about temperature, stress, everything else. That's incredible, right? Right. So one of the gentlemen who works on it said, it's like a constantly working electrocardiogram. Wow, (laughs) good analogy. So anyway, it's a great story. And the photos in the New York Times online are just fantastic. You know, black and white Sunday paper, you're like, eh, photo, Duomo. But the digital version. The digital version, when you see them on a large monitor, when you see them on any monitor, um, they're fantastic. The color, you can really see the the level of coloration in the marble from that single quarry. I will put this article, link to this article in the show notes. Bravo. And if you're not a subscriber to the New York Times, if you register, they will give you a free article and you can read this one. Yeah, it was really stunning and interesting. So if you're, well, I put a couple of pictures of the Duomo up just this week on Instagram. So if you're interested, take a look in our show notes and link yourself to this awesome article. Alora, Alora. Go for it, girlfriend. Back to the recipe. But first, I would just like to preface here that Tommaso and I are not food bloggers or chefs extraordinaire. We are just lovers of la cucina italiana, the Italian cuisine. And we actually really enjoy trying to recreate specific meals that we had, like this past trip in Bologna or Puglia or Rome. We eat something, it's so good. We look at it, we think about it, and we're like, let's recreate that at home. And this Saturday night, actually, we're having a dinner party. You're jumping ahead. I'm going to mention what you're going to make. Okay. All righty. So, as I was trying to say, Tommaso and I tried ourselves first, and if we think we're good to go, then we have a dinner party and we share it with our friends. And at this point, all of our friends on this little island here, or off-island even, know that a dinner party invite to our house means they will be eating Italian at Casa Nostra yet again. Yes, and some women show up and go, I'm not eating carbs. <laughs> and I say, that's too bad. You can just have sauce or you can get some lettuce over there in the refrigerator. Oh, funny. Well, so as far as I know, no one's turned down an invite, even though they know it's going to be pasta 99% of the time. Or I should say, I don't know that they've turned it down. I mean, a lot of times we get the old, oh, we're thanks anyway, but we're busy that weekend or we have plans. Maybe they're just going out for Thai food or Italian or something. <laughs> oh, they wouldn't be going out for Italian. You can't get better Italian. Then, than... I, I didn't mean Italian. I meant Indian. Oh, right. yes. Sorry. <laughs> we have a lot of English friends. Anyway, okay. So I mentioned this recipe is from my old neighbor, Susan, on Via Meda in Milano. Susan was an American and went to Italy for a junior year abroad. And that typical story, she lived. She met an Italian man, fell in love, had two cute kids, 
And 15 years or so into her life in Italy, I moved into the apartment next door. Susan was, at one point, a food critic, a writer for an Italian magazine, and she also worked at Rai Uno, the main TV network. Yet, what she did best was cook. And we lived in this typical Milanese building that had a center courtyard. So once you enter the courtyard from a massive set of doors, not quite as large as those in Bologna, where we stayed tomorrow. There, there aren't many. <laughs> Our, this this apartment building, they were like half that size, but still huge. And then you had the little cutout door, you know, when the two main ones weren't open. So when I would get home from shooting and dragging my camera bags, my photo equipment up the four very tall flights of stairs in this courtyard. They're like external stairs. And since my apartment was on the top floor, that meant that every landing I got to, I could smell every single thing that la mamas were cooking, what they were simmering all day long, like garlic, parsley, meat, whatever they were cooking. I smelled it all day, every day. And when I would finally get to our top floor, I would take a ride onto the little balcony. There were only three of us on that one little balcony. I was in the middle and Susan's apartment was at the end. And her door would be open for the air and the ventilation because she had all the burners going, cooking these elaborate meals after she got home from work. That's why I think Italians eat late because if you work and you want to cook dinner, it takes a while. So she'd always have her door open and I could smell it. And I'd be like, oh, Madonna. I'd go into my apartment and I'd just leave my door open as well, thinking I could maybe smell what's drifting in. And if I was lucky, one of the kids would come over and say, Kimberly, voi mangiare con noi. And yes, Kim, would you like to eat with us? And I'd say, si. <laughs> so I was very, very lucky in all the apartments where I lived. I really lucked out with neighbors in terms of their cooking ability and teaching me, etc. So it's in that apartment where I learned how to make sugo di Roma. That's what Susan called this sauce for the hell of it. It didn't really have a name per se, but her friend in Rome used to make it. Therefore, it became sugo di Roma. And sugo just means sauce. This is how wonderful recipes are handed down. There is no name. It's just passed down by word In of mouth. In families, it definitely, and they're all yes. regional, passed down, etc. Anyway, I do have to mention something here because I keep using past tense with Susan, and that is because, sadly, she passed away a few years ago. However... Susan lives on in this household, doesn't she? She does. We talk about this recipe all the time, how she used to make other things. So that's a, it's a, makes me feel good every time we talk about Susan and her cooking in Casa Nostra. I want to say that in order for this sauce, Sugo di Roma, to be the most tasteful Sugo, it's a commitment. Yes, it's not like one of those recipes. You just mentioned something that doesn't take 20 minutes. I see recipes online. Make this, blah, 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 in 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> like, not this one. I not, 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 not any good food in 20 minutes. This is a serious commitment in terms of time. So, Tommaso and I suggest choosing a weekend day, preferably in the colder months, because this sugo di Roma definitely lends itself to colder weather. It is not a summer alfresco type pasta, no, correct? No, no. That's why we chose to highlight this recipe now, because for those of you that live in the Northern Hemisphere, you're probably in the middle of a somewhat boring winter weather. 
with either no snow at all and gray or too much snow. Either way, Sugi di Roma may be just what you need this weekend. And the reason I say this sauce is a commitment is because when you prepare everything, all the ingredients and get it all ready, and then you let it simmer for hours and hours while you cook off at least a half a bottle of Pinot Grigio and a lot of chicken broth. However, for my fellow vegetarians, even without the chicken broth, this sugo is still delicioso. However, for your fellow vegetarians, try the chicken broth version. It's much better. (laughs) Believe me. It adds a completely different taste. But Tommaso and I separate ours at the end. He does chicken broth. I just do more and more and more wine. Let's tell you the ingredients. And by the way, all of this information and photos are on a landing page on our website. Correct, Tommaso? Yes. A link will be in the show notes. Okay. Anywhere that you're listening to this podcast episode, look in the show notes under the episode description, and there's the link. There you go. All right. The amounts I'm going to list here is to make a sugo for four servings. Yet, speaking from experience, in this case, we normally have leftover sauce after a somewhat generous helping because the way we look at it is... It's wonderful. That's why. But also, if you're going to spend this much time making it, have some leftovers. All right? So these ingredients and the amounts here I'm giving you for four servings, but it's a little more, okay? All right, I'll do this fast so it's not boring, but again, you can read it on the website. Garlic, at least six cloves, extra virgin olive oil, a half a cup. That sounds like a lot, but it's not because the oil really cooks throughout the whole time. One medium-sized red onion, chopped between fine and medium, four cans of Italian peeled plum tomatoes, those large cans, we use Tutto Rossi or San Marzano, and a half a bottle of Pinot Grigio wine, minimum. <laughs> <laughs> Four cups of organic chicken broth, pepperoncino, which are the spicy red pepper flakes, panna or creme fraiche. Panna is available in some cities like Manhattan, maybe Chicago. Providence, Boston. With, with large Italian communities. Yes. Go to an Italian specialty store and you can find panna, which is like a, it's almost like a heavy cream, but different. I've used creme fraiche a lot. So we use creme fraiche. Yes. Okay. And then your pasta. And we normally use penne. All right. One thing I'd like to add that you haven't added here. What? A good bottle of wine to drink while you're cooking. That goes without saying. Well, you didn't say it. <laughs> oh, Um, I made a mistake. Okay, here we go. The recipe. Saute those six cloves of garlic in extra virgin olive oil in a very large skillet, the largest one you have. Add one medium-sized onion to that garlic and let those two things saute together, the onion and the garlic, for at least 10 minutes. Open the four large cans of Italian plum tomatoes and trim off the and where the stem was to the tomato. Then slice the length of the tomato so the juice runs out, and then cut them into smaller pieces. Leave that tomato juice in the can, transfer your cut pieces to another bowl. And and your kitchen gets a total mess with this, right? When we have like at least eight people coming and we make this, the kitchen is a shit show. (laughs) (laughs) My rule of thumb here is that it is basically one can of tomatoes per person. So 
this recipe is for four people. We use four cans. It sounds like a lot, but believe me, it's not. Add all of these tomatoes a little bit at a time to the skillet and keep stirring. Stir it enough so that the garlic and onion mix quite well, keeping the heat on low. And let this tomato, onion, garlic mix simmer for about a half an hour. And then this is where the first cup of chicken broth comes in. You turn the heat up a little bit, leaving the lid partially over the skillet, stirring occasionally. So you're, you want that chicken broth to soak in, cook in, but don't cover it completely because then it won't cook off eventually. After 20 minutes or so of the chicken broth addition, then you start adding the white wine, a cup of dry white wine, Italian, of course. We use Pinot Grigio. And by this point, you're pouring your second glass of Barolo. <laughs> just, just saying. Right. I have to stick by the rules here. All right. So then you repeat the addition of one cup of chicken broth and one cup of wine for the next few hours, stirring occasionally. And the I just want to say also, we have a Thermidor stove that has a... Yes, this is a lifesaver. A lifesaver. It has a timed on off and we can adjust that. Uh, and so you can have it go on every 30 seconds for 10 seconds or something. And it really helps us cook this sauce well. It does. And if you feel like it, go buy yourself a new Thermidor stove <laughs> because <laughs> it's the best thing we've ever purchased in this house. It there, is priceless. There is no link in the show notes to that. Right. Yeah. We don't get a commission or anything, but it is so good to cook these long simmering sauces. And the goal of the slow, long cook is to allow the broth and the wine to soak in, like I mentioned, but eventually it kind of, I'm not really sure what the word is, burns off, cooks off, evaporates. evaporates. Due to the long, long simmer time. But if you see that you don't have enough liquid in there, add some more. Stir it up, add some more. Put the cover on, cover, I should say, cover the top of the saucepan, the skillet. You want to keep the lid on and close the close the the gap between it so it's not evaporating so much if it is going too fast if it is going too fast you guys know what we mean right. and then eventually about an hour or so into this add some pepperoncino the spicy red pepper flakes so that it also works its way into the sauce but do be aware if you add too much it can really obviously you must all know that it can be too much for I, some people i'd say you're probably in the quarter teaspoon exactly range. for this amount So let this sauce simmer for as long as you like. I estimate we do it from four to five hours. And you just, if you have the time, that's why you choose a weekend day, have some music going, you're drinking your Barolo, I might have Brunello, whatever. And just let it simmer. Just keep it from overcooking. If you did, you can add some of that tomato juice that you saved in the can while the pasta is cooking This is where the secret sauce comes in. You add, in this case, for four four servings, you add a half a cup of panna or the creme fraiche that I mentioned earlier. And it only needs to be in there for a couple minutes. It turns the sauce a lighter pinky color. Yes. And that is like, that's the moment. I suggest tasting. Yes, at that point. He, he's a big taster, okay, uh, <laughs> with his own wooden spoon to the side. So then you're good to go. You mix the sauce with your pasta. And before you eat it, I just want you to know, 
according to the Italian scripture of food laws, <laughs> you are not supposed to add Parmigiano to any pasta sauce that has seafood or any kind of cream. Tommaso, he breaks this law I all do. the time. I do. I do. I'm it sorry. It is horrible. He knows it. And even when we were in Puglia, let's just be honest here. We're in Puglia. At restaurants, they served you your pasta with seafood and no Parmesan on the table. I was like, don't ask for it. Tom, they will be insulted. Just they're annoyed. Don't ask for it. He'd be like, okay. Please forgive me. I'm, but, I'm weak. But in our house, <laughs> he adds it. So or, even though this has some creme fraiche, he adds Parmigiano. Hey, basta. It is one delicious, different pasta. It's rich. It's tasty and handed down from a woman in Rome to Susan to me and now to you guys. There you go. Allora, we promise that every other month or so, we will give you another recipe. And then we'd love it if you shared with us how you like it. This weekend, as Tommaso started to say earlier, we're having a dinner party and we're making two different sauces. And Tommaso is going to do his first attempt to recreate the ragu he had in Bologna last month. Your favorite ragu. I am, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. That's one of the sauces. I am making a roasted red pepper, roasted uh, cherry tomato, and basilico sauce for the non-meat eaters in the party. And you know what, Tommaso, speaking of ragu, you still owe those fans, those ragu fans photos from your previous ragu that we did like last summer or last fall? No, last fall. Okay. I'll get there. We promise. We promise. All right. We did a little photo study of it and a little video and he loved it. But then we went to Bologna. So See. things have evolved, right? Finally, I'd like to thank all the new clients I have whose trips I've been planning for this coming year and to two clients who took heed to my advice and have hired me for their trips in 2024. They had these visions after listening to several of our episodes about exactly what kind of accommodation they wanted in a specific special place to celebrate. One couple celebrating a big wedding anniversary and the other a big birthday. So they were able to get their dream choices for these vacations one year in advance because they gave me the time and luckily those places are available. Actually, one place is so overwhelmed. They're like, we don't even take the reservation to the end of the previous year, but here's your name on the waiting list. So thank you for all of that. So I just think we should be there on the 31st of December waiting so we can book their accommodations in person. (laughs) Well, guess what? They're closed probably. So that wouldn't work. (laughs) And for the rest of you thinking of going to Italy this year in 2023, Start your search now, without a doubt. If you haven't yet, right, right as soon as you hear this, start <laughs> lo- start looking. Because it looks like it's going to be another very busy season. But I have been able to find all my clients very sweet spots that fit their style and their budget, which is molto, molto importante. And we have, I think, uh, we're up to 5,600 links that we have in our database. Uh, I have a lot of place in my pockets, right? Yes, 5,600 links. Whether it's accommodations or restaurants or boats, that's quite the amount of information Mm -hmm. we have. You won't find those on the first uh, page of Google search. Right. (laughs) 
And we did want to say something about some reviews, correct, Tommaso? We did. We Not did. a review per se, but a rating. So yes, I would like to talk about the ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've got a lot of five-star reviews and a lot of five-star ratings. A review, of course, you give us a couple of lines on there while you like it. Ratings, you just click on the stars and tell us you like it and give us a five-star. We've seen a number of one-star ratings. And if you're going to give us a one-star rating, please leave us some text within that Apple reviews or send us an, an email and let us know how we can improve. We're here to do a good job. And if you don't think we did a good job, we'd like to know why. Hey, Basta, that's well said. Thank you. Just curious, and we'd like to do better. Yes, exactly. All right, let's get back to our next episode. This one here is 85, and in episode number 75, I had been sharing the details of the fabulous trip I took with six women last October and November. But then we got sidetracked with Christmas holiday and our trip to Copenhagen in Italy. So I'm thinking next episode, I want to go back to this trip and tell you about our island hopping from Capri to Procida and then to the mainland of Amalfi and an incredible tour of Pompeii. And I have so many clients going this spring and summer and fall to Amalfi, so I think a lot of them will enjoy my recent trip. And it might lure the rest of you into thinking about a visit there as well next year. Ebasta. Which, by the way, e basta, is another fabulous expression, like allora. <laughs> you can say so much in Italian with so little, sometimes, right? Sometimes they go on for like 10 minutes and say nothing. But in, yeah, bull. In this case, <laughs> we'll get into that one later. In this case, e basta simply means, and that's that, or that's enough. So, e basta, grazie mille, e ciao ciao. E basta. Ciao, ciao. It's easy because it's like pasta. <laughs> e basta. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>